Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome or welcome back to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So question, have you ever had an opportunity or a moment, an aha moment, when you discovered that a certain object or a gadget has a specific purpose and you've been using it wrong all this time? You've been doing it wrong and you realize, oh, that's what that's meant for. Or perhaps you didn't even know that a certain gadget existed and you've been doing it the hard way all this time when really there's something quite simple that can accomplish this purpose. Um, That's been my experience uh, recently. As some of you may know, my family and I recently bought a house and we moved in about two weeks ago and uh, about 20 guys or so, thank you for praying for us through this process and here's a collection of the guys Uh, This photo does not show my eight-year-old son dictating where everything should go. Um, But uh, thank you to all these guys that helped us move. It was really quite um, exciting and also humbling as we filled two trucks, four pickup trucks, with all of our earthly possessions. Um, The comment I've heard most recently is I didn't know somebody could own so many Legos. Yes, me and my boys, we love our Legos and we have quite a few of them. Uh, but we're first-time home buyers, and we've moved into this house. And after renting uh, for you know since my wife and I got married, and um, for the last 19 years or so, and so we're, I'm learning new skills as a homeowner. Skills I didn't know I I needed. Uh, I am not handy. I'll just tell you, um, I am not handy. My dad was not handy. If I'm not handy, my dad is even less handy. My dad has gifts and skills in other areas. So I'm having to learn some new skills as I take a look at our home and think, well, maybe I'll work on that. Maybe we'll do something here. Um, This week, um, I learned uh, a new skill. Uh, I talked to a friend recently who said, really, most home projects really aren't that difficult. It just comes down to having the right tool for the job. That makes sense. So I'm learning how to use new tools. Uh, For example, this week, I really wanted to, something very simple, I thought, Uh, just to caulk around the bottom of the shower and the floor in the bathroom. Now, let me tell you, I have never caulked a thing in my life. And so this wonderful invention, this very simple invention, a caulking gun, I had to learn how to use. Now, I like to think I'm pretty smart, but I had to go to the hardware store and ask how to use a caulking gun. Um, It's not something that comes naturally to me, but this week I learned... I learned how to caulk. You know, we want to put up some shelves, so a friend of mine is going to come and help us do that. And what I'm learning is that when you use a tool for its intended purpose, things go a lot easier. You get the job done faster. Uh, Things tend to work out a little better when you use a tool or an object or a gadget for its intended purpose. Now, when we try to use a tool or a gadget for some other purpose, a purpose for which it was not intended, it can be frustrating Maddening, sometimes even outright dangerous. Imagine trying to butter your toast with a chainsaw, 
right? It, it's not intended for that purpose. Every tool ever made was created to accomplish a specific task or project and has a specific purpose. And the same is true for you and me. We each were created by God for a specific purpose. And he has a specific purpose and plan for your life. He has a job for you to do, a job for you to accomplish, a plan. We love to quote Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God does have a plan for your life. For some of us, however, it takes a little longer for us to figure it out. Or we pursue other interests and perhaps we're far from God and he needs to get our attention, which he's good at doing. He needs to get our attention and then we can begin to live out our purpose, be who God intended us to be and accomplish the mission that he has for us. Now, perhaps, you know, you are um, working uh, in business and maybe you've been in business for 30 years and you're in business because that was the family business. And you're doing it because, well, that's what we do in this family. But maybe it's never really brought you joy. Maybe you're a teacher because mom and dad were teachers. Grandma and grandpa were teachers. And so you're a teacher. And maybe it's just not as fulfilling as you thought it would be. Sometimes it takes us a little while to figure out what it is that really puts fire in our belly, what it is that really was God's calling for our life. Now, being a teacher is a great calling but maybe it's not what brings you the most joy or what God had intended for you to do ultimately with your life. Today we're going to see how Paul describes God's mission for his life, God's purpose for Paul's life, and how he defines this purpose given to him by God. By evaluating Paul's calling, it will give us an idea of maybe what we should be doing with our lives, what our purpose might be, and how maybe we could go about figuring out what it is. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans 15. If you're using one of the Bibles on the seat, it's page 1051. We're going to be looking at Romans as we continue in our study. We're entering in now where the closing remarks of the book of Romans. Uh, Paul's going to land this plane. We have been in the book of Romans since January, and a year-long study, and it's been great. It's been good. But we have just a few more weeks. Paul's going to land this plane in the book of Romans, and we're going to wrap it up. Paul, this week, is going to take a slightly different turn. He's going to start talking about his own life and talk about some things about himself that he hasn't done quite before. So let's begin with verse 14. Romans 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But in some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to, be, to obedience. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. 
Paul begins by saying that he's satisfied with the brothers and sisters, your Bible might have a note, uh, at the church in Rome. Now this satisfied is not just as in you did your job, gold star. You met the minimum requirement. You've satisfied the requirements. That's not what this is talking about. This is more, this word has more of the idea of confidence. Uh, he has trust, full trust in the church at Rome, that they are full of goodness, full of knowledge, able to instruct one another. Now, despite all the difficult things that Paul has told them all throughout the book of Romans, Paul actually has a really high opinion of them. Sometimes he's been a little strong, a little hard on them, but really Paul has uh, quite high praise for the folks in Rome. This is high praise from Rome. They are spiritually mature, informed, well-meaning. So if he thinks so highly of them, how come throughout the book he's tend to be pretty harsh? <laughs> he's tend to not hold back in how he brings challenge. Well, verse 15, here at the end, Paul says, um, on some points I have uh, written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Very boldly. Yeah. I'd say throughout the book of Romans, Paul has been quite bold. He's been quite strong in how he's brought some things. I kind of get a sense when Paul writes this, I was speaking to you very boldly, by way of reminder, by the way. Um, you know, just, this is not new information, Paul's saying. I've written to you boldly. This is already stuff you know. You've heard this. You've been taught this. But I'm going to speak to you very boldly about this as a reminder of how important these truths are. Paul knew how to bring challenge to his audience. And Paul has a very specific and a rationale for why he's able to bring said challenge to the church in Rome. He clarifies as to why he's able to do that. He has an authority that no one else has. Not everyone had the right or the authority to bring the challenge that Paul brings to this church. We read about that in the end of verse 15. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about the grace given to him by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus. He's referring to his conversion on the road to Damascus from being a persecutor of Christ to a proclaimer of Christ. Now let's take a moment and let's dig a little bit into Paul's history because it helps really to explain the grace and the magnitude of the grace given to him by God. You may remember that Paul was, uh, his name was Saul and he was a Pharisee and a keeper of the law. But not just that, Paul also was a um, persecutor. He killed Christians, tried to destroy the church. The whole book of Romans is about transformation. We've talked about phrases like from universal condemnation to personal transformation all throughout the book of Romans. And Paul's life is a dramatic picture of the overall theme of the book of Romans. Someone who used to, um, I mean, just his ambition, he sought out to kill Christians, to destroy the church any way he possibly could. In Acts 9, Paul was, it says that Paul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He's mentioned to be present at the death of Stephen, the first recorded martyr. And at the time, we understand that Paul, scholars believe he was about in his 20s. At 20s, he was already a leading Pharisee, leading the charge to kill Christians and destroy the church. But on the road to Damascus, we read, says this, Jesus appears to Paul. To Saul. And falling to the ground, he, that is Saul, heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, 
whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him, Saul, stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This singular event on the road to Damascus changed his life forever. The text goes on to say that it was as if scales fell from his eyes and he was able to see and he immediately went out to go and proclaim the gospel in the synagogues. This incident on the road to Damascus is exactly the grace given to him by God. So to say that God was gracious in Paul's life is an understatement. That God took a murderer, someone who wanted to destroy the church, to then become one of the most influential people in the early church who wrote most of the New Testament. It's incredible. An incredible testimony of God's grace. So if anybody knew the infinite depths of God's grace, it was the Apostle Paul. And so Paul says that grace given to him, that's why he's called to be a minister. Paul's life and purpose in his life, his plan was quite clear and maybe finally clear to him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles would be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul mentions this priestly service. Now priests, you may know, were ones that would offer the sacrifices at the temple on behalf of the people. They would bring these sacrifices and they had a unique role. In the Old Testament, uh, some priests were uh, only, only certain priests were allowed to go into the holiest of holies in the tabernacle. The criteria to be a priest was long, uh, lengthy, strict, and seemingly at times near impossible. A special group of people only. But Paul says he's called to this priestly service to offer the Gentiles to the Lord as a sacrifice, acceptable and sanctified. And Paul's again making note and making a point that the gospel is not just for the Jewish people. It was not just for the Jews. Yes, Gentiles can be accepted and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, if we look closely in this passage, uh, we'll see all three persons of the Trinity. Trinity uh, of God. So we have um, a minister of Christ Jesus, Jesus the Son. Paul then says that he was uh, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, God the Father. To present the, the, the offering of the Gentiles acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is present in Paul's ministry. And if that doesn't demonstrate a divine seal of approval of Gentiles being included in God's plan, I'm not sure what is. By God's grace... Paul was called to become an apostle, a minister of the gospel, to offer the Gentiles to the Lord. Signed, sealed, delivered, the Lord's. Thank you. Somebody laughed. Thank you. I worked really hard on that one. You might be thinking, wow, Paul really must be an important guy. I mean, he's, he, he's this guy. He's responsible. He's a big deal. I could see Paul walking around like, I'm the apostle. Paul the apostle. Look at me. I'm a proclaimer of Christ. I used to be a persecutor of Christ, but look at who I am now. Look what God has done. 
Paul doesn't talk about himself in that way. Paul instead points people back to Christ. Verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. See, it wasn't about Paul. Even though Paul talks about himself, what really what we need to learn, what we need to draw out from this is what God has done in Paul's life. What Christ has done in Paul's life. Paul says, it's not about me. It's not because of who I am or what I've done or who I was or how great I am or how much money I have. Paul says, the only reason I can say anything is because of Christ. The only basis I have for boasting on anything is because of what Christ has accomplished in my life, because of Jesus and the goodness of God's grace. He wants to make it clear that this is all about Jesus. Not about Paul, it's about Jesus. He says, I won't even speak about anything else except what Jesus has done in me and through me. It is that central to his ministry. Christ is priority for Paul. Paul's not taking credit. He's giving credit to the Lord. Now, I will tell you, in my humanness, I like to get credit for my work. I like it when people say, Steve, you did a great job. Nice job, Steve. You, you made this thing, whatever it was. You fill in the blank. I like to hear that. I think we all like to be... Uh, to hear words of affirmation. If that's your love language, you get this, right? To, for someone to say, nice job today. You did a good job. Now, sometimes, not always, sometimes I get very excited about an idea, and sometimes I, I might even take credit for somebody else's idea because I get really excited and because I want people to know that this is a good idea. So in my humanness, I don't always get it right. And I'll take credit I want credit for my work, and sometimes I might even take credit for other people's work, not intentionally. But what if instead we always just point it back? That, that, that was actually what God did in my life. God did that, not me. The only reason that Paul was able to, and really the only reason that we should be able to do anything worthy of noting is because of Christ's work in and through us, just like it was for Paul. And Paul's talking about uh, bringing the Gentiles to obedience. This isn't talking about every single Gentile. And he's not talking about bringing them and under a rule of an iron fist that they obey the law. That's not what he's talking about. Paul's talking about bringing them to Christ, coming to faith, being obedient to the call of God, call of the Holy Spirit in their lives, turning from often their pagan and idolatrous ways to worship the one true God. So how did Paul do this? What was the strategy that um, God used in Paul's life to do this? Well, he talks about a three-part strategy. The first is word and deed, Paul says, through word and deed, by what he spoke about, how he lived his life. Paul lived out what he preached. People saw Christ in, people saw Christ in Paul, yeah. Especially anybody that may have known him prior to his conversion would have seen a drastic change in Paul's life. Rather than talking about killing Christians, now you're talking about bringing them to Christ. Huge difference. Secondly, Paul says, by the power of signs and wonders. Now we know from the book of Acts and other places in the New Testament that the apostles were granted power by the Holy Spirit to perform miracles, uh, heal the sick, uh, cast out demons, things like that. And these were ways that the work and the word of the apostles was authenticated. 
So they would preach, they would say things, and then they would perform these signs and wonders that would authenticate saying that the things that we're saying are true. Jesus would do the same thing. As Jesus was preaching, he would uh, heal the blind. He would heal the lame. That was to authenticate his ministry. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul says this actually, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 2, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now this was part of Paul's story. This may not be part of our story, this is part of Paul's story at that time, that Paul was called as an apostle to perform by the power of signs and wonders, the work of, of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit in his life to accomplish this. It's how God chose to work through Paul. Thirdly, Paul says by the power of the Holy Spirit, who not only worked through Paul to help him perform these signs and miracles, but also it was the Holy Spirit moving in the hearts and minds of those that he was preaching to. Because it's not about the words that Paul said, not about the words that I say. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit, working to help uh, the, the minds and the hearts of people to respond to what they're hearing from Paul. So God used Paul to bring the Gentiles to obedience through word and deed, signs and wonders, power of the Holy Spirit, all so that Paul can fulfill his mission, he says. From Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Now, if you look at this map, the red dot in the corner at the bottom, that's Jerusalem. You see Italy there, the boot. Uh, there's Greece in there. And then the dot at the top, that's Illyricum. That makes out about 1,400 miles. Paul's describing his ministry in geographical terms. This is not a chronological order. Illyricum is where we would now have about Croatia, Bosnia, um, just north of Albania area, kind of in that, in that region. We'll learn next week that Paul still plans to go to Rome. He has not gotten to Rome yet. He wants to. So we'll hear about that next week. And considering the modes of transportation in Paul's day um, and the technology available and the uh, dangers that were involved in traveling, that's quite an accomplishment. Even by our standards today, 1,400 miles worth of ministry, uh, that's, that's quite a task. But Paul points it back to Christ. The end of 19, Paul says, um, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I want to clarify something here. This is not saying that Paul says the job is done. Everybody knows about Christ. That's it. Everybody can go relax, take a break. We're done. That's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is that not that all non-believers suddenly became believers. He's not saying that there were no pagans left or anything like that. What Paul is saying is that his ministry, his calling to establish churches in this area, uh, maybe central hubs of ministry, so that they could continue to work after Paul left, that's what he's talking about. It means that Paul was set on a, a particular course, had a particular ministry to, to establish this, and then those who were there, those Christians, those churches, would take the message beyond help to spread, to multiply the message. So Paul goes from being a persecutor of Christ to a proclaimer of Christ to also a pioneer for Christ. Verse 20, Paul says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. That's a pioneer. 
pioneering spirit. He makes it his ambition to preach the gospel to places where Christ is not known, to unreached people groups. He wants to go into uncharted territory, places where people know nothing of Christ, and that's the role he wants to play. That's the role he feels called to. Paul knew that he had a special calling to pave the way for future missionaries, future churches, future believers, by going ahead first, blazing the trail, so to speak, for those who would follow in his footsteps. Now, this pioneering ambition really shouldn't surprise us uh, as we read through Paul's ministry, as we learn more about Paul and his his ministry and how God has used him. Um, This past week, I did some study on Paul's personality. Um, Some of you may be familiar with Myers-Briggs, Myers-Briggs personality assessments, where there are 16 personality types. Uh, You take an assessment, you come up with a four-letter assessment type. So you are um, an I or an E, you are an S or an N, you are an F or a T, a J or a P. And so if you were to look at this this, uh, image, uh, the E or the I, so you work downwards. I'm either E or I, S or N, T or F, J or P. And so some folks who are much smarter than I am, uh, who are personality um, experts, have studied the scriptures, have studied the New Testament, and they, there's a general consensus that Paul was, if we were to send Paul through this assessment, he's an ENTJ. Bear with me. An ENTJ is very interesting because they are pioneers. Over my sabbatical, I spent several weeks studying personality types. I I love to dig into this. And so I took some courses. I spent several hours, uh, several weeks, uh, studying personality types and came away with a couple of certifications in this to see how personality types interact with um, building teams, how it works with leadership and how we can develop uh, leaders that are worth following. How do we do that? How do we do that in our circles of influence, whether at home or at work or in our community? And so as I went through this material, when I see an ENTJ, to me, in my world, uh, that means they are a pioneer, a pioneer guardian is what that means. So, okay, Steve, what does that mean? Well, pioneer guardians, ENTJs, have a very strong self-confidence. They know who they are through and through, and they're not usually too shy about it. They'll usually tell you, I'm good at this. Um, A healthy pioneer doesn't flaunt their confidence, though, and Paul doesn't here. Paul points back to Christ. Uh, ENTJs, um, they're also very uh, strategic. See, big picture vision. But then they can also have this ability, this unique ability to arrange resource and means to accomplish that mission to deliver details to support the vision. They naturally find themselves in positions of leadership. ENTJs can be bold, blunt, and sometimes unforgiving in how they bring challenge to others around them. Sounds a little bit like Paul. One of the key traits of an ENTJ and as a pioneer is they're always looking at the big picture. They know exactly what needs to be done to accomplish that mission. And when a pioneer has a mission and vision that they believe in, they can often feel and come across as unstoppable, sometimes to a fault. You're either on this bus with me or I'm going to run you over with my bus. They are trailblazers, unique. They set the course. They go into uncharted territories, ENTJs. Sounds a bit like Paul. 
Now, if this is true, it makes perfect sense that Paul would have such an ambition to take Christ to unreached people groups, to unknown areas, to blaze a trail. Not because he wanted to be known as this great missionary, as a healthy ENTJ, but that he wanted to point it to Christ because that was the vision. The vision was to spread the gospel to the unknown world. In fact, we wouldn't have the gospel if it wasn't for Paul. As Gentiles, Paul, who was called to be a minister to the Gentiles, we would not be here today if it wasn't for Paul being a trailblazer in taking the gospel. Paul's living out his unique calling. And he didn't want to build on someone else's foundation. He felt truly called to this unique calling to go out to uncharted territory. It was so unique. It was special. No one else had that. And he's living that out. And in doing so, Paul's fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah said. So here at the end of 21, this is actually from Isaiah 52, 52, 15. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul was given a unique mission, and so were you and I. Each of us was given a specific mission or a calling, if you want to call it that, or a a life purpose. We were each given one. It's unique, unique to how God wired us, unique to our experiences, unique to the gifts that God has given us. And when we discover what that is and we know what it is and we believe in it and we live that out, it can be life-changing. It certainly was for Paul. Because living our purpose brings glory to God. Living our purpose brings glory to God. Now, worshiping God, bringing glory to God, is ultimately what we were created to do in the beginning. So when we discover what that purpose is, how do we worship God? How do we do that in our purpose? We can go through life pursuing foolish and ungodly pursuits and we'll never find our purpose. Paul would have been probably quite content continuing to kill Christians, but God had other plans for him. God got his attention. So you're going to do something for me now. You're going to build the church rather than destroy it. Ultimately, Paul probably would have been content, but he would have lost in the end as an enemy of God. What is your purpose? What is the thing that puts fire in your belly? What is the thing that when you're doing that, you're like, this is what I was born to do. What is the thing that when you're doing that, you're bringing glory to God? When you're doing all is right in the world, you know that this this is my calling. This is what God has called me to do. Is it music, art, mentoring others, teaching, sports, fixing cars, helping people in hospitals, serving as a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, a chef, law enforcement, painter, construction, fill in the blank. What is it that God has called you to do that brings him glory? Maybe you don't know yet. That's okay. Maybe you feel unsettled about what it is. Maybe you feel like you're maybe wandering without purpose right now. How about this? Here's a very practical tool. On a scale of one to 100, if you were thinking about your purpose, uh, your purpose maybe on a daily basis, purpose in work or whatever, if you feel miserable right now as you think about your purpose, you might be on a scale maybe like you're a 40 or below. Think about your purpose, maybe you're just sort of blah, sort of eh. You might be 50, 60 range. Maybe you think what you're doing right now is a good thing. It feels good. It feels okay, but it's not great. 
I, I don't really want to do this for the rest of my life. I'm not really sure. 70-80%. Some of you know exactly what it is. And you're 100%. 100% this is what God has called me to do. It's infectious. Maybe you didn't get there right away. Maybe it took you some time. Um, many years ago, when I was in high school, I um, said I, was, I wanted to go to college. And so I um, didn't know where I wanted to go. Uh, but I had a cousin. And my cousin said, well, I'm going to go to this school up in Langhorne. I'm familiar with Langhorne. I have family here in this area. And so my cousin said, I'm going to go to PCB, Philadelphia College of Bible. Sounds like a good place. I'll go too. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just said, I'll go too. And so it turns out, I thought, well, I have to choose something. So I'll choose to be a social studies teacher. I didn't like social studies. Uh, Social studies teachers are great people. I didn't want to be one. But I, I wrote it down. I said, yeah, I'll be a social studies teacher. Um, after I was already signed up to go to college, I was already signed up, my application's in, I'm accepted, I have scholarships, it's kind of like no turning back now, Um, I realized, no, I don't want to do that. I had also started to get involved in theater, and I was serving um, with a stage crew in this professional theater and got to work with some really amazing people, um, including the Metropolitan Opera and some of these other folks that would come into our theater, and I learned how to run sound and lighting design and theatrical uh, lighting And I continued in theater, and then I eventually uh, started working in in clubs and bars, and I ran sound at a reggae club for multiple summers. That was um, educational. (laughs) And and so I uh, really was. Uh, And so what what I learned, though, was that this, I love doing this. I love running sound. There's an artistry to it and a technology piece to it. To be a technical artist is a very unique thing, and I loved it. However, I didn't want to spend my life in reggae clubs. Um, And so what I thought about, this idea, I grew up in a very small church. Uh, Our sound system in my church growing up was the tape deck from Radio Shack. (laughs) And that was it. You know, we didn't have sound systems and things. And so taking, knowing, learning, discovering that I could take my experience in professional audio and lighting, and all that in theater, uh, where I learned it from, and sort of redeem those, I'm going to say redeem those skills from working in bars. I could use that instead for the kingdom of God. And so I, at one point, I had this realization, if I could do that, if I could use those skills in the church, in the local church, that would be the best job ever. And it was right about that time I got a phone call, and I started working here, Um, at Grace Point um, when we were back on State Street 20 years ago. And I never left. Not because I felt stuck, but because this is what I love to do. And I learned later on that it was my calling in life to serve the local church, to, to look at my varied experience. Who knew that God could take somebody who didn't have a clue what to do with his life, started working in reggae clubs and running sound and working in bars and on, on the beach and doing all sorts of stuff with, with sound, that God could use me to further his kingdom here in the church. Only God. That is the kind of thing when you learn and discover what your calling is, puts a fire in your belly. Now you might be thinking, how do I know what my calling is? I have no idea, maybe. Here's a couple of things. First, take notice. If you've had a Damascus Road experience, take note of that. If God has knocked you off your horse, it may not necessarily be because you were doing something wrong. God's just trying to get your attention. Take note of those in your life. 
take note of what those situations were. God might be trying to point you somewhere. Do a passions inventory. Make a list of the things that fill you up, things you love to do, things that fill your cup, fill you with joy. Put that fire in your belly. There might be something there. Thirdly, reflect on your life experiences. If I sat down and I looked at my life experiences working in theater and reggae and running sound for Metropolitan Opera and doing this and doing lighting and, and you know, adding all those pieces together, reflect on them. There might be a common thread there. There might be a common thread throughout your life that God has not revealed to you yet. And then start to connect the dots. Start to connect the dots because it might be those Damascus Road incidents, the things you're passionate about, the things put fire in your belly, your life experiences, God might be trying to point you all towards something. You might see your calling. It might come very clear to you, right, and jump off the page. That is what I was meant to do. And God might have been trying to tell me this all along. You don't know. Living our purpose brings glory to God. Pray and ask God to reveal those to you. Reveal what those connection points are. Our ultimate purpose in life is to bring glory to God. But as we live our lives, what does that look like? God had a purpose for the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Yes, it was to bring God glory and it changed the world. God used Paul in a very specific way. And we have the benefit of God's work in Paul's life. God has a purpose for your life too for every single one of you. What is it that God is calling you to do? It may not be what you think it is, but it's good. God has a plan for your life, for you to bring him glory. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for my friends here that we are all unique. You've given us each unique experiences, Father, that are um, how you've been working in our lives. Um, God, you are so good to us. Your grace is good. And Lord, I pray for my friends here that as they consider their life experiences, those Damascus Road instances, Lord, where you've got to knock us off our horse or bicycle or knock us off our feet to get our attention. God, that we would see your hand, that you're calling us to a purpose to build your kingdom doesn't have to be in ministry. doesn't have to be a pastor to have a calling in life, Lord. But you've put a purpose before us, plans for our lives. God, may we bring you glory and bring you honor. Lord, may the power of Christ be seen in us. All those that we encounter and all those that we meet, we rub shoulders with, Lord, and that we would point them to you. Because that's the most important thing, Lord. Not that people would wander around and say, look at Steve Weir. No, no, no. Look at Jesus. Look at God. Point to him. Lord, we pray in Christ's name, for he is worthy. Amen.